Evolution.org, a podcast coming your way, episode 570. Today we're going to do part five. Why you mad, bro science? Part five, exposed. So over the years, we've seen uh, forum gurus who uh, they post the same thing over and over and over, something that they made up. And then these are some, these topics that we're going to talk about on this podcast have to do with diet, working out, stuff like that. And these are theories that geniuses have come up with over the years. And they still, to this day, some of them that are still alive, most of them are dead, but the ones that are still alive, they'll continue to post this bullshit um, and pass it off as real science. But it's just bro science that we can kind of uh, easily um, offset, you know. So, Momster, start us off with the first one. Right, so this is one of those ones, you see it, right, and you've got to wonder at the logic and the thinking of the people that are saying it, and sometimes they're genetic freaks, but, so the, 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 the line is, there's no such thing as overtraining, right, okay, well, that's bullshit, of course there is. If the greatest freaks we know, and I'm talking about all kinds of freaks, running freaks, swimming freaks, Flying a frigging plane in the air, freaks. Never mind what we do, lifting weights, getting strong, getting lean, getting muscular. If those people don't train, and I've actually heard one of these people say this 10 hours a day to keep on gaining muscle, and they need rest, and they need to take PEDs and supplements and do therapy and all these kind of things to recover from the training, then what makes the fellow with a little bit of muscle and a nice photograph as his avatar on a forum think there's no such thing as overtraining? That just makes it bullshit, okay? There's lots of guys, lots of guys, Steve, that like to train and they like to go to the gym. And we know maybe one in a hundred, that's kind of crazy lean, they walk fast everywhere. They're always riding the bike. They're always involved in like three different sports and stuff like that. But they are the tiniest percentage, and they're very rarely super big, super muscular, super strong. They can have a little bit of all of those things, but they're very rarely crazy big. So the idea that you 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 can just train and train and train and train and train and it's not going to fuck you up is stupid, right? The science completely goes in the other direction. It talks you. you Larry Wills, just in the last week, Steve, there's been a bunch of stuff gone viral about Ian. Is it rabidosis or something like that? Which is essentially broken down muscle, lactic acid, whatever, invading his blood thing, had to go to hospital. And essentially, the last time I recall there was a good case of that happening was two Chinese girls had done some kind of leg workout and they'd got into this whole challenge of... Um, keep going until we can't go no more. And they was having one of those crazy kind of loads of energy, loads of nervous, whatever you want to call it, and the back and forth. And they ended up doing some stupid exercise for a thousand repetitions, Steve. And they both went to hospital. Now, that's in one goddamn day. There are a bunch of perfectly normal fellas, men and women, who go out there and train, and they're not growing. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. That could be down to just literally not eating enough protein, not having some sort of calorific surplus, not getting enough rest. But let's imagine for a second that some of those things are covered. Why aren't they recovering? Because their volume's real, real high. Because their nervous system's fried. Because literally they're going through the motions when they get to the gym. And those are all great indications of overtraining. So let me give you another couple. Okay. 
Uh, now, obviously, there's different symptoms which are similar for different situations, but the following included. Right? So you're making no progress in the gym, but you've actually upped your protein, you've upped your calories. If anything, you're putting on fat, might be going to the toilet more, whatever. But you're not recovering from your workouts in spite of the fact you're taking more protein. You throw more PEDs at it and you're still not recovering. Your muscles are constantly sore or don't seem to respond whatsoever. Your hands are kind of shaking all the time. And why is that? It's because of a nervous issue, which again is your central nervous system taking a pounding. Your sleep is really, really bad. It's kind of fit for your tossing and turning and whatever else. All of these, and I'll get Steve to jump in there as well, are signs that your body just doesn't like what you're doing. What do you think of some of those, Steve? Talk about overtraining. So over the past 20 years, there's been studies come out on this. So a lot of these guys who push that, what you were saying, Mobster, they are obviously, they've not read these studies or they've refused to even look at the studies. So we actually look at a study by Young Sub Kwan and Len Kravitz, and they're both uh, well-renowned, human body, scientists, doctors, physiologists, whatever you want to call them, okay? But they actually did studies on this over the past 20 years. So the fact that these people are still saying this nonsense is pretty interesting. What basically one of the areas that they say is, look, once you exercise, you still stimulate your protein synthesis and your muscles, for many, many hours after you stop. So you don't have to go and train for three, four hours to get that effect. You could train for 20 minutes, for 30 minutes, and still get an effect for the rest of the day and into the night. You see? So really you going and training and training and training for hours and hours is actually backfiring on you for this reason because you're wearing your body down. You're creating more injuries, little small injuries that can become chronic over time, little small injuries that increase inflammation to the point where you start developing things like joint issues, tendonitis, and, and those types of nagging injuries that will make it painful to start lift, to, to continue lifting. And then you start up on the anti-inflammatories and the pain medications, and that makes the injuries worse even though it makes you feel better. And now you end up needing a hip replacement or a knee replacement, or you end up needing, you know, your shoulder surgery or, or wrist surgery or carpal tunnel surgery and all these injuries that we see pro bodybuilders develop because they don't, they overtrain and they don't take enough time off. So they develop these injuries. And what ends up happening is once they need those types of procedures, they better hope that the doctor is having a good day because even good doctors could have a bad day. And they once they go in there and start messing around with a knee or a hip or an elbow or a wrist and it doesn't go great, they can really screw you up. Even And we see this. Look at Grant Hill, NBA player. He had a knee injury. He had surgery. And he had to take, what, two, three years off in the NBA? Because it didn't go well and they kept doing surgeries and then they kept going back in there and correcting and cleaning it out. He couldn't, he was not the same player after because they completely screwed him up. So you don't want to end up like that. You don't want someone having to cut you open and start doing stuff like that. And you, so you got to protect your joints. We're, we're flesh. And another reason this bro science happens, mobster, is young guys 
they're in their teens, they're in their early 20s. They go in there, they overtrain, and they get away with it. And these little injuries are able to heal much quicker. But once you get into your 30s, 40s, and especially 50s, you cannot do that anymore. You know? So, you know, JP, who a lot of you know on the forums, he's he's like that. He had to have hip surgery, he was telling me. And what happened was he basically, over time, was doing a lot of heavy squats. And over time, he's also worked you know, did a lot of construction work and stuff like that. So his hip started to bother him enough where he had to go have hip surgery. And it costs like, is like a $100,000 hip surgery. And um, so luckily for him, most of it was covered under his uh, care insurance, but um, it's really a devastating injury. And when you get something like that, it's going to put you out a long time. We've seen that with professionals. So it's not about going in there for hours. It's about doing it right. So you don't have to do that, and it's actually counterproductive to overtrain. So I'm also touching that a bit, and then take us to the next brew size. Yeah, I tell you what might be true, Steve, and that is that <laughs> some of these guys that think they're training hard are actually under training. Uh, what do I mean by that? There's guys I we, we there's, especially in the modern times, especially as these podcasts are recorded now, sitting on their phones talking to their buddies. Hey, I'm guilty of that one but I'm more of a strength athlete than a bodybuilder, uh, using pussy weights and so on and so forth. And they can convince themselves that they're training hard. And then they'll turn, they'll be the ones that turn around and say, I'm in the gym for hours. I do do this. I've got a little six pack going. And you think, motherfucker, if you had actually put the, the, the foot to the floor, pedal to the metal, you'd be bigger and more muscular than you actually are. So of course you think there's no such thing as overtraining because you're not fucking yourself up enough not overtraining, but actually creating a protein synthesis that Steve referred to earlier on. So there's one for you guys. Let's let's go into the next one. You mustn't eat carbs after 4 p.m. Okay, who made those rules up, Steve? It's just like, okay, there's a bunch of reasons perhaps, and I kind of see the logic here a little bit, Steve, but the reality of the situation is there are no particular rules that say that you can't eat carbs after 4 p.m., Here's why I think they've said it. And it's one of those things that's come out of organizations such as Weight Watchers that create special plans. And all of these plans ultimately, of course, is to get people to eat less and give them points and so on and so forth. And the reality of the situation is that some people that are overweight do the following. And that's this. They're eating crap at work. They're eating crap at school. They're eating crap through the day. And so they kind of got this thing, well, I won't eat crap. In their mind, that's carbs after 4 p.m. And then what they're actually doing, and the reason they become even fatter than the really bad eating that actually made them already, is that when they get indoors and they've made the food for the kids or the husband or the partner or whatever else, they're eating more crap, Steve. So even if they eat super healthy or they think they're eating super healthy, what are they doing? They're getting those big bag of chips out. And even the dips to put in the chips into. And they don't think of that as a carb. They don't think of it as a food. This is just a snack while we watch TV. Or another one that Steve's talked about. And this is more American than it is British, but the Brits are starting to get into the same habit, like I said before on other podcasts. They're going out. And they're going to a restaurant. They're going to a fast food place. They're sitting indoors. They're having a takeout. Or they're going out for food. And they don't count all of the snacks and the side dishes and all the bits and pieces are not just having a steak and a salad. They're having a side dish with like 
chips covered in cheese and all this kind of thing. And they're not thinking of any of those things. And then you can even argue, Steve, of other foods. Why, why just carbs? What do you think on that one before so we get back into it a little bit? So here, here, here's where this comes from. And look, it's the same logic behind don't consume fat. Uh, you know, fat's bad for you. Stay away from fat. Salt's bad for you. Stay away from salt. It's basically one of those things where people don't have the knowledge about nutrition to understand there's a difference between good carbs and bad carbs. There's a difference between good fats and bad fats. Now, if we take a look at the blue zones, okay, this argument gets blown up. Uh, in the blue zones where people live 100 years, no problem, and they're healthy, obesity and cancer and heart disease, they don't, they don't even know what those are in the blue zones, okay? They eat a majority of their diet is carbs in a lot of the blue zones, but they're not the same carbs. They're different carbs, but they're all healthy carbs. Example, Okinawa, Japan. What do they eat, mobster? What's their main carb source? What are their main food? Sweet potatoes. They grow sweet potatoes on every single farm in Okinawa. And believe me, they eat a ton of sweet potatoes. Some people in Okinawa eat 50% of their entire diet is sweet potatoes, meaning every meal they are eating sweet potatoes. Okay? They'll even eat sweet potatoes, you know, for a snack. You were talking about a snack. That's an example of a good carb. Now, when they say don't eat carbs after 4 p.m. or don't eat carbs, you know, in the evening or don't eat carbs whenever, okay, they make these rules. Really, what they're saying is you're too dumb to understand nutrition. So let's just tell you don't eat any carbs because to you, a car means a donut or a Pop-Tart or cereal or any of these other uh, bad carbs. But no, good carbs like fruits, vegetables, these, 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 th these types of carbs are not bad for you. Raw nuts, these are good carbs. So there's a difference between good carbs and bad carbs. Same thing with fats. There's a difference between good fats and bad fats. Refined fats, which are found in restaurant food and processed food and fast food, the refined oils are bad for you. <clears throat> they go in your body and they do a lot of bad things, including they're extremely inflammatory. So if you're consuming refined oils late in the day, and then you're going to sleep and it's inflamed and your whole body's inflamed. And you just had a workout which stressed your body and inflamed your body as it is. What do you think is going to happen while you sleep? You see? So that's why they say, you know what? Just go ahead and just don't eat carbs after a certain amount, after four o'clock. Just don't, don't put them because you're too dumb to know the difference. That's pretty much the reason they say that. It's the same thing with salt. They'll tell someone who just had a heart attack, stay away from salt. Just don't eat salt. Because people who, who have heart attacks usually have shitty diets. So they'll just tell them, you know what, just go ahead and avoid salt. Because most foods that have salt are bad for you. Because they're restaurant food, they're fast food, they're processed junk, they're sausages and all this stuff that have tons of salt in it. But in reality, salt isn't bad for you. Salt is naturally found in soil. It's naturally found in seawater. It's naturally found in certain uh, foods like seafood and stuff like that. It's not bad for you. And consuming salt properly is not bad for you. It's actually we need salt, um, but it's a it's a necessary electrolyte uh, to survive. But because people aren't smart enough to figure it out, so they've pretty much doctors have just said straight up, just stop consuming salt. It's somewhere simpler than having to explain to someone that there's a difference between this food and that food. So that's where this bro science came from. So Matra touched on that a bit, and then we'll move on to the next ones. We speed right along here.
Yeah, I mean, there's examples of the doctor stuff that Steve's mentioned with regards to eggs, which is bullshit. Uh, and, and we went for a whole thing in the 80s, 70s and 80s, Steve, of not eating eggs or cutting back on eggs. And that was just rubbish. Uh, another example is a lot of this stuff situational. I can think of a bunch of people in construction that eat really shitty food, but they're out there burning the fuck out of this shitty food all day long. The problem is, is when they carry on eating the shitty food and they're not working in construction anymore. And i give you an example. A Victorian scientist went and stayed with Eskimos back in the day. And what was they eating, Steve? They were having occasional vegetables. They were having occasional other meats, etc. But for the most part, they were eating seal or wow. They, they were just having really, really fatty meat or just fat in the form of blubber. But where was they? They were at where it was super cold and really high density, high calorie fat and oils in the food that they were eating. But this was being burnt off because of where they was. The moment the Western diet made it to where they was, they all started to get about heart issues. Steve talks about the Okinawa with the with the sweet potato. You could even throw in the rest of the, the Asians with the rice, Steve. It's like a massive staple. And yet the medical issues that they differ in their countries to us, except where Westernized food has started to creep in there. So all of this stuff is situation. I think, like Steve said, it ultimately comes down to it's simple. It kind of uncomplicates things. And in reality, which is kind of annoying, Steve, you know, there's always going to be levels of intelligence here, but it kind of annoys me a little bit where people say, well, I don't know what's healthy. Yes, you do, motherfucker. Go to the vegetable section in the supermarket. Visit there. Visit the fresh food and the fresh meat. Stop eating junk food. You know damn well what you're doing. You, it might be cheap. It might taste nice, but you know it's not healthy. Fuck the label. And you, again, especially now, Steve, we're doing this podcast. There's plenty of information on the internet. You've got zero excuse now. You can Google this stuff in five seconds. On to yours, Steve. Give yeah. us one of yours. So I'll follow up one more thing on that one. Rice in China, right? They've been eating rice for so many years, and they never had a problem with obesity and heart disease and all this stuff until recently. What happened in China over the past decade or, or 20 years where now type 2 diabetes in China is almost caught up to the United States and may actually go past it. You know what happened? Exactly what you said. They started eating like Americans. They went away from eating rice properly cooked and properly prepped to eating bad carbs, fast food. It became cool to go out to eat in China. Now people there have money. The middle class, they have a bigger middle class you know, than, than America now. So people there have tons of money now that they never had, that their parents and grandparents never had. So they don't have to eat rice anymore in their normal rice and vegetables for dinner. Now they can go out to eat because that's the cool thing to do. Go out to eat, socialize with their friends, go to McDonald's, go to all these Americanized franchises that have parked in China and made it cool. All the advertising, you got athletes and celebrities advertising all that stuff. And it that's what and that's what caused the growth and obesity. It wasn't because they're eating rice because in Japan they eat rice and they haven't had that come yet. Cause in Japan, they haven't had that Americanized system. They have a much more, uh, you know, specific culture in Japan, which hasn't allowed that to happen quite yet, but in China, it has definitely happened. Um, so that's been the difference and why China. And then now India, you're seeing India catch up too. to now people who live in the cities in India are starting to have all these diseases that we have in America. But the people who live in rural India who are still poor and who are still in agriculture and growing their own food, they don't have it. So you have this huge gap in in um, 
in India now between people who live in the cities who go out to eat and then people who live in the rural areas who grow and eat their own food that way. So it's not like that in America because in America, in the rural areas, it's actually worse because in the rural areas, all they eat is processed junk. All right. So next, we're going to talk about a couple bro science. Now, next one we're going to talk about ties into what we were just talking about, but we're going to switch it over to protein now. And it's the bro science of you need to eat meat to build muscle. And this this is ridiculous. Okay, first of all, when you consume anything, whether it's a piece of meat or it's a fruit or a vegetable, your body converts it into energy. Okay? Now, there's something called glucogenesis. So if you if you consume a steak, it's going to glucogenesis turns it into sugar, which converts that to energy and your body uses that energy. Now, in the case of Americans, because most of us have a gut and whether you have a tiny gut, you know, you're 10% body fat, and you have some something you can grab in your belly, or you're like a typical American who's 20 or 25% or 30% body fat, where you can grab, you know, with two hands, you can grab a bunch of rolls of, of fat. You're eating too much. Okay. So you don't need to eat meat to build muscle. What's happening is you're obese, you see. So if you go as a fat person and start eating more meat, you're not going to turn that fat into muscle, first of all. Fat and muscle are not the same thing. But that's not really what I'm trying to get out on here. I'm getting at people who think you have to have a certain amount of protein, people who think that you have to actually eat meat, beef, steak, chicken, turkey, fish, any, any type of meat to actually build muscle. And it's just not true. We've seen vegetarians and vegans who've been easily able to put on muscle, okay? For example, eggs. You get a good quality, humane-friendly, uh, pasture, pastured egg with a chicken was outside running around, pecking, grabbing it, you know, eating insects off the ground, eating seeds off the ground, and having the sun, getting the vitamin D from the sun, put healthy eggs, okay, where they're not walking around on their own shit in a fucking cage all day, those types of chickens will lay the most healthiest eggs in the world. So you can literally survive and build muscle and weight train perfectly fine just consuming eggs as a protein source. But what I really want to get at, Mobster, is bone broth and organs are the most optimal type of protein out there. Okay? And bone broth, homemade bone broth, you can't go to the store and buy it. Okay? I don't. That's not going to work because it's going to be preserved um, and it's got they add so much garbage to it okay where it makes it completely counterproductive but you gotta get good bone broth okay it's got to be a grass-fed cow makes a difference whether if it's gra grain finished or grass finished grass-fed it makes a difference on the quality or you can get fish bones or um that are wild caught fish fish bones um so you put them in the crock pot for 24 to 48 hours and you really can uh enjoy those benefits of that bone broth, but you can just consume bone broth and not even touch beef, steak, chicken, uh, any any of that stuff, and that would be not only better for your muscle gains and better for your strength, but it would be more healthy overall because now you're getting the healthy fats in your diet. You're getting the collagen, which is going to repair the joints of your body. So this myth that, you, oh, yeah, I've got to have beef or I've got to have this much steak a day or i got to have this much chicken, you don't. 
You don't. There's plenty of bodybuilders out there who are professional bodybuilders who don't even touch red meat at all. So that's that's a myth. And there's plenty of bodybuilders out there who don't eat any meat. They literally live off bone broth and they live off organs of animals. Now, organs of animals in America, it's really hard to get. I get it. You go to the store, you're looking for organs, um, and they usually use that for catfish bait. So I get it. It's hard. But bone broth is not hard. Um, uh, health food stores will sell really good quality uh, beef bones that have huge amounts of collagen in them, okay? And it's got bone marrow, big amounts of bone marrow. And, it, and listen, where I shop, they always are selling those and people are in there buying them, okay? So listen, the secret's out. I'm telling you the secret, guys. If you want to take your shit to the next level, swap out all that steak and all that beef and all that chicken that you're eating and swap it to bone broth. That's going to be a superior type of protein to build muscle and to help um, your body repair and recover. And most of you out there have never even heard of bone broth or you've never had it before. And that's, you're missing out. Okay. You're missing out because this stuff is amazing. It's so good for your gut. It's so good for your entire body. It's good for everything, your skin, your hair, your eyes, your organs. It's good for everything. So if you just go from eating like try just going from eating beef and steak and chicken and switch to eggs, good quality eggs and good quality bone broth and see the type of improvements you'll have to your diet. So absolutely, it's just not true that you need to have specifically eat meat. Go ahead, Mark. Let, let me kill this one. Absolutely stone dead, guys. If it was true, we wouldn't exist as a species anymore. It's as simple as that. Human beings are incredibly adaptive. We are typically, Steve, omnivores. We, what is an omnivore? Fucking everything that doesn't poison them. And all kinds of meat, all kinds of vegetables, all kinds of fruit. If it ain't toxic, if it doesn't poison us, we can eat it. Sometimes we have to cook it. Sometimes we have to treat it. And then we can eat it. We will pretty much eat anything. It's the reason we survived as a species. If it was just vegetables and we lived in a desert, we'd have starved to death. If it was just meat and we lived, it was just vegetables, we'd have starved to death. So as a species, we're incredibly adaptive. The idea that we can't or only should eat certain particular things to grow, okay, then how do babies grow? Mother's milk, not meat. What about times when food's been short in the supermarket, Steve, and we had to eat other things? We didn't die. We didn't shrink. It's just bullshit. So the logic is absolutely facile, to say the least, Steve. So on to your next one, all about Decker. I'll read out what it is, and I'll let Decker, uh, Steve take over. Decker has a lot of side effects. What do we think on that, Steve? So this, you know, bro science, I don't know exactly where it came from, but I suspect it was some dude who used it and had a problem, and then they started blaming Decker for it, and then it became kind of one of those things where a lot of people said the same thing. But at the end of the day, it, you know, around the time it started to come out is when men in America started needing Viagra and Cialis just to get an erection. Because before then, it didn't even exist. I can remember the first time I saw a commercial for a dick drug. It was in the late 90s. And I was in college at the time. And I asked one of my friends in college, I was like, I was like, what, what is what is erectile dysfunction? Like I would see these commercials for erectile. And I asked him, I'm like, what the fuck is erectile? I'm like, what is this? Like people actually, and he explained it to me. And I was like, what? People actually have that problem. It's like, for me, I even look at a hot chick and it springs up, you know? So it's like, I don't understand it. But when you have poor heart health, 
and you have a poor diet and you have no energy, you got poor blood flow. That's what happens. So now every American needs to be on a dick drug just to have sex. I swear, if they monster, if they came out, the government came out, even as a joke, and just said, yeah, we're banning dick drugs, every male in America would be on the street with pitchforks marching on the Capitol. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, don't mess with my body. I have a right to use dick drugs. You know? So, but Steve, Steve, they wouldn't be marching with hard ons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, we can't have sex without this. But look, guys, erectile dysfunction is definitely, it's not only psychological, but it's definitely lack of blood flow in the body. But that's what's tied into DECA. They're like, oh my God, I can't get it up with DECA. It's like, dude, you couldn't get it up with or without DECA in the first place. Okay. Most people out there, 99.9% .9 of people who have erectile dysfunction in America have never used an anabolic steroid before. They've never used DECA, but they have erectile dysfunction. So DECA doesn't cause erectile dysfunction, guys. That's a myth. All right. Here's the thing with DECA. The way it was designed was to be less side effects than where it came from, which was the testosterone molecule. They took testosterone and they tweaked it to make it less androgenic and have less side effects, less DHT side effects, less androgenic side effects, less anabolic side effects, all that stuff. So it's literally designed in a lab to have less side effects. So how could it have more side effects than testosterone? It doesn't. And guys in the old days would use DECA and not use testosterone for that reason because they didn't want to end up with bitch tits. They didn't want to end up with blow. They didn't want to end up with other side effects of high blood pressure, insomnia, and all these other things that you get from using testosterone with no AI. Back in those days, they didn't have access to anti-estrogen. So around the time, you know, that people started realizing, oh my God, I got erectile function issues around the turn of the century, around 2000. And now we're sitting, you know, 20, 20, 25 years later, and now everybody seems to need a dick drug just to have sex. Well, that wasn't the case 25 years ago. Okay. So basically what's happening is I believe that a lot of it is just one guy who had a problem. He started saying it and another guy caught on, but also, with, with, with any Nandrolone, I always recommend using Proviron because the way it was structurally changed from the testosterone molecule, you aren't getting those DHT, you know, it, those D, that you're not, you're getting an overflow of DHN, which is dihydronandrolone, and not enough DHT, dihydrotestosterone. So, for some of you, that can cause some dick issues. That's true, but that's because you're not running it correctly. So, if you run it with Proviron, OK, you will have that balance of DHT and DHN and you won't have any of these dick problems that people report when they use Nandrolone. But that's what happens. I personally have run DECA three times, Lobster, and you can give you can tell us your experiences. I've never had these issues ever. In fact, it's been the opposite. All right. It's been the opposite. It turned it turned me more. So this myth out there. That Denka ruins your sex drive and it ruins your your dick and all this stuff. And it's got all these side effects. It doesn't. It doesn't have side effects. You will have less side effects running Deca than you would testosterone. That's just a fact. Okay? That's a fact. And you can run blood work and see and see that as a fact. So, Mobster, I'll let you take this one. Yeah. So, just before we finish, guys, I've run Deca. 
And I think I even mentioned in the previous show, Steve, I said that uh, I was flying solo at the time, no girlfriend on the horizon, and my sex drive stayed exactly the same. I was uh, taking care of business myself, the same frequency, the same number, the same everything. Nothing changed. It was just the same as it was before. If anything, it was ever so slightly elevated. I mean, a tiny, tiny bit. So here's the reality of the situation. Sometimes a person will come on and they say that they've had an issue with DECA and it comes with this side effect. But what do we do now, Steve? We do in the forms, and I don't think we used to do it back in the day. We ask other questions. We'll say, what other drugs were you doing? What was the amount of drugs that you were using? How heavy are you? Are you fat? Do you do cardio? Is your lifestyle healthy? And so on. And if we find out that the person's four foot tall, weighs 300 pounds, and has 50% body fat, well, what a fucking surprise, Steve. They made side effects with drugs. Motherfucker, you had side effects before. Never mind before you took any drug. You was already unhealthy. And now you've done something that's made, and you're training as well. You wasn't training before. Or if you was training, you were training at a different kind of level and the drugs have been able to say, get up a notch. So what happens? Your body responds. Well, what a surprise. This is why we talk about getting into shape, training, getting kind of healthy, starting your diet before you start the cycle and all these kind of things. That's why we like to know your body fat and your percentage. It's why we like to know what dosages you're running. It's like we like to know, again, what other drugs are you doing? Like Steve says, are, are you using an AI? No. Have you? When you talk about after the cycle and you only did a piss-poor PCT, all of these things can't motherfucker. And you think that that one drug caused it because you hadn't used it before or you hadn't used it at that level. There's just a bunch of things like that, Steve, that happen all the time. It's, like, it's the reason why we ask those questions. We're not just being nosy bitches. We want to know what you've done, how you've done it, and the kind of condition you was in. And then we can point out, you know, listen, you're around 800 milligrams or 400 could do. You're 15% body fat, way too high, above and beyond what we think you should be, and so on and so forth. So all of these things are going to have an effect. Of course they are. It's a reason why doctors like to know the medication and pharmacists like to know the medication that you're on already before they give you another script or something else because of size. We're not even asking those questions, Steve, and they could be on other drugs for blood pressure and BCE and whatever else, and then they're using performance-enhancing drugs. So, guys, logic foul, logic foul, logic foul. You have to have these kind of things in your mind and be aware of what's going on and everything about it. So we're, I'm sure we're going to do more of this bro science stuff in the future, Steve. Please note, we are not doctors and opinions are ours. It's our view and it's based on our experience and views on the topic. A podcast of the informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.